This morning we're going to be uh, going to be sticking with Matthew. Uh, we're going to be Matthew chapter thirteen. We'll be starting uh, verse thirty-one, going through verse thirty-five. This is the uh, <clears throat> the section, this chapter of Matthew, where Jesus tells seven different parables and interprets a couple of them. Now, the ones that we're going to look at today are unique among the ones that you all have looked at already because these are the first ones in the chapter where Jesus doesn't turn around a little bit later and tell the disciples what he meant by them. Which was kind of bad for me preparing the message because I had to research it and try to figure it out myself. But it's good because y'all can't come up to me afterwards and say, well, Jesus said this, you know, it actually means this. So, you know, there's good and there's bad there. Ah. But these parables that we're going to look at this morning are significantly smaller than the ones that you've seen up to this point. They're small parables about small things with big impacts. So if you found Matthew 13, verse 31, let's stand as we read God's Word. Matthew 13, 31 through 35. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it all was leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us as we look into your word this morning. Um, Guide us as we seek to understand what these parables mean and how that will impact our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, even though I have, I'm averaging once a year being over here, I do actually listen to every message that Brother Bill preaches here. And so, what's, what's he talk about? What's the key to figuring out what a passage says? Well, what are you really got to key in? Context, yes! All right. And of course, there are a whole lot of different contexts. This morning, the one that's really going to be important to us is historical context. Because Jesus uses a couple of images in these parables, that we have a picture in our mind of what it what he's talking about, what it looks like, but the first century Jews would have been thinking about something a little different. So as we look at these two parables, we're going to look at the images that are in there. We'll look at a couple of different interpretations of each one, and then we'll ask that that all-important question, well, which one is it? So the first parable we'll look at is the parable of the mustard seed. This is verses... 31 and 32. Uh, the first image we have is the grain of mustard seed that becomes a tree, the mustard tree. Now, one thing that's interesting about this, and if you've ever studied it, it's probably not new, but the mustard seed is very small, especially when you consider the size plant that comes from it. We think about us with, um, with fruit. You know, you got different sized fruits. You know, a peach pit is much bigger than a cherry pit. Well, that makes sense because a cherry is a lot smaller than a peach. <clears throat> but even 
even in that time, they knew mustard seed, very small, turned into a very large plant. In fact, they call it a tree. It can be between 8 and 12 feet fully grown, which doesn't sound that tall, especially when you just walk right outside and see these huge oaks and all these tall pine trees that we see in our forests. But in that area, especially where it would be planted, that would have been the tallest thing in the field. And the stalk, it when we see mustard, we think of it more like a, a, a shrub or a bush. But the stalk of it, as it grows that tall, it actually hardens up like a tree. Now, it's not hard enough, like Zacchaeus didn't climb a mustard tree to see Jesus. It wouldn't have supported a man. But no problem with birds resting in it. You know, that's a good place for them, and it's high up. You know, give them the vantage point that they would need. So that's the image of the mustard tree. And we've got the birds of the air. That's our next image. And these are, this is an interesting phrase, the birds of the air. There are a couple of places where, uh, where it talks about the birds of the air. And these are thought of kind of like scavenger birds, like vultures. And when, when Jesus talks about the birds of the air have no place, you know, they don't toil, they don't spin, but the Lord clothes them. In Luke, actually in the, in the ESV, that translates birds there as ravens. So, again, birds that, you know, just kind of scavenge for what they can get. But there's also an image of birds in the Bible that is quite positive. In fact, Psalm 104, I'll look over there real quick. This is a psalm that, that's praising God for how grand his creation is. And Psalm 104, let's see, verses. thought I had this marked, my apologies. Starting in verse 10, you make springs gush forth in the valleys, they flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. So there are the birds. That's part of God's creation, and and they're they're pitched as a good thing. You know, he's not saying, oh, these gross old birds hang out there, you know, and eat all the, the carcasses. No, it's a very positive picture. And those are pretty much the images that we have here. We've got the mustard tree, we've got the birds. And this is, this is supposed to tell us about the kingdom of heaven. So how are we going to interpret this? Well, the first interpretation I want to look at, and, and I'll say I've narrowed it down to two on each one of these. There are dozens of ways to interpret these. And, and as Brother Dave told you last week, Sometimes it's not wise to try and, and get some deeper meaning for every little word in every parable, you know, which some people try to do. But I've, these two, I've kind of distilled down. They, they tend to fall into one of two camps. So I've kind of distilled those down into these interpretations. But this first one is that this parable is a warning against outgrowing God. Here's how the thought goes. Mustard, we know if you see mustard planted here, it's not a tree. It's a shrub. We, we've, got, we've got these trees. <clears throat> For a mustard plant to become a tree, it's growing way bigger than nature intended, is the thought behind this interpretation. So it's not doing what it naturally is doing. It's, doing, it, it's got to have some artificial means that's making it bigger than it should be. The birds... 
these birds are the same birds from the parable of the sower and the soils that come and eat the seed that falls along the road. This is seed that the sower has spread that's perfectly capable of generating life until these birds of the air come and eat it. So the idea here is that as the church gets so big beyond what God ever intended, that these birds, these people, these false teachers, these, you know, people who do not have good intent will be comfortable just hanging out. And now, I'd say Kingdom of Heaven Church, you know, we understand Church Universal to be what, you know, they're, they're synonyms. I'll, I'll flip back and forth, but them talking about the same thing there. Now, this is an interesting interpretation because, now I'm not going to name names, but you can think of churches that may fit this mold. But we'll dig into more of that when we ask, what is it? The second interpretation sees this as a metaphor for the church's impact. And like I said, the mustard plant over there does grow 8 to 12 feet tall. Now, our ceiling's a little bit taller than that, but I know I played basketball, and the goal is 10 feet. And that's a way up there for me. Especially if you see these people who can jump up and slam the basketball. That's not me. The other thing that that the mustard, the reason they see this as a metaphor for the church, the mustard seed starts really small, but it grows very tall. And it does that very quickly as well. It's not like it takes, you know, 20 years to get that tall. It springs up rather quickly. Now, in this interpretation, the birds are still bad, at least to begin with. They change. So this this interpretation is saying that contrary to the the conquering Messiah image that the Jews had, you know, the Messiah was going to be a political savior who was going to come in, destroy the oppressor, and set up his kingdom on earth. Contrary to that image, it's going to start small, yet it's going to grow quickly even to the point where it will include and comfort those who originally were coming against it. So, which is it? We're not going to take votes or anything, but one thing to think about, why not both? Could it be both? Last week, you all looked at the parable of the weeds. Was that a parable telling telling Christians that God is going to watch out for them while they live in the world and will one day take them to their rest? Or is that a parable saying that God is, is showing patience with sinners right now, but he's eventually going to judge them? Yes. Yeah, that, it was both. So it's entirely possible that, that multiple interpretations can be true of a different, you know, of particular parables. Interpretation one I find to be a little bit weaker because it it takes a, a non-Middle Eastern view of the mustard plant. It kind of projects what we think of as a mustard plant onto it. You know, a 10-foot mustard plant is not, hasn't grown beyond what it's, cap- what it's naturally capable of. It's not like it's been genetically engineered to be taller than it should be. <clears throat> But 
That being said, if somebody really thinks that that's a good interpretation, I'm probably not going to argue with them too much on this one. Certainly is caution to make sure that, that our church is not a place where false teachers are comfortable. But we know that there are churches like that. But the second interpretation, I think, is the better one. And if you look at it, not as a parable, but as a prophecy, it almost might be an, an already not yet type prophecy. I know that you all are going through the book of Acts as the framework through which Bill is preaching through the entire New Testament. And you all know from Acts, how did the church start? Well, it started really small. One guy, because everybody else left him, and, and he's dead. You know, okay, so he comes back to life. Now we got 11. Okay, now we got 12. <clears throat> now we got, Peter preaches, oh, now we got 3,000. You know, it's just growing explosively. But then what about those, those birds of the air? You know a guy named Saul? Anybody heard a guy named Saul? Now you call him Paul? <laughs> yeah. He came against the church. He was stealing that seed. And God reached down and was like, what are you doing? You're on the wrong team. And now Paul found great comfort in his conversion. And he certainly still had struggles in life. So like I say, I, I think interpretation two here is probably the better one, especially when it's talking about the kingdom of God. And I said that it was an already not yet. Y'all, have y'all heard that term before? The not yet part, the kingdom is not complete. If the kingdom were complete, we wouldn't still be here. We would be living in the New Jerusalem. So there is still work for us to be doing. Now, the growth is not necessarily our responsibility. Our responsibility is faithfulness and sharing. <clears throat> growth is up to God. So that's the parable of the mustard seed. Short parable, small seed, big impact. Our next parable is even shorter. It's one verse. Now, of course, Jesus didn't have verses when he was actually saying this, but this is the parable of the leaven. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. I, mean, I know some of the teens here have had longer Awana verses than that parable, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so let's look at the images in this parable. The first image we have is the leaven. You say leaven 80 times probably in this sermon. It's the parable of the leaven. There's leaven. The woman took it till she all leavened everything. What is leaven? We think of leaven, we think yeast, right? What leaven was then was a small lump of dough that they had left from last time or previous time that they'd left out and let get into a high state of fermentation. <clears throat> so, not a mustard seed, but still, I mean, just a little, little, little lump of dough. Now, leaven... We look at leaven in the Bible. What is the first thing we think of when we hear leaven? Sin, yes. Leaven is typically a picture of sin. Beware the leaven of the scribes and Pharisees. We look in the Old Testament when the uh, excuse me can't talk when the Jews were preparing for Passover. They had to get all the leaven out of the house. So 
That's what we got. We got leaven. What else do we have? We have the woman. Now, a lot of times in Scripture, when it talks about a woman, it's talking about a literal female human. There's nothing deeper than that. But when a woman is, is used for metaphorically or allegorically, that either refers to a nation, nations are referred to as her and she, or it's referring to the church, the bride of Christ, that sort of thing. Now, the woman is doing the work. She's hiding this in the flower. Now, hiding isn't probably the best way of describing that, but if you think about the, the concept of kneading dough, so they take the leaven, they put it in flour, like you're hiding it up underneath the flour, and you push down. Then you take that back out, put it back in. That's what, that's what this is talking about when she's saying she hid it in flour. Now the flour, that's another one of our images in this parable. <clears throat> Three measures of flour. Does that sound like a lot or a little bit? I don't know. I had to look it up. It's a lot. It's nearly an ephah. It, this, amount of, this amount of flour would make bread to feed around 100 people. So this is a lot of flour. Not an unbelievable amount of flour. I mean, it, it's conceivable that one woman could be kneading dough to make bread for 100 people. That would be a lot of work, but it's, you know, it's definitely doable by, by this person. So those are our images. We've got leaven, we've got a woman, and we've got flour. Sounds like a party, huh? No. The, uh, <laughs> so the first interpretation that, that people typically have of this parable is that it is a warning against falsehood in the church. So it's similar to, to the first one. Leaven keeps its traditional role as a picture of sin. The woman is causing all this to happen. And so the, the picture here is kind of like the weeds where Satan, Satan's workers came and sowed the, the, the tares in amongst the wheat. Use the good uh, King James translation there. The, the leaven, it's just changing everything it touches. And sin is just spreading and spreading till the whole flower, all of the flowers contaminated with sin. That's how bad it is. Interesting interpretation. The second one is that this is a metaphor for church growth. And I mentioned having to do some research, you know, for this. Um, and that and that historical context was a good bit of it because you know we need to know what what the people would have understood Jesus to be saying here. And I learned some really interesting things about leaven. Um, this interpretation, leaven isn't necessarily used because people would understand it to be sin. Leaven is used because of the way it works. How does it work? I found a Smith's Bible Dictionary. It's got a five-point, uh, or five aspects of how leaven works. The first one is its source is without, which means it's not an, in and of itself. Something has to leaven something before it has leaven in it. <clears throat> it's secret in its operation. It's interesting. Woman's hiding it in flour, which, but I don't know, have you ever tried to watch bread rise? You can watch bread rise if, if you watch it. It's kind of slow. But you can't actually see 
the particles changing. You can see the effects. The third, it spreads by contact from particle to particle. That's how you do it. The lady is taking this dough, putting it in there, pushing the flour onto it. It contacts it. She does it again. Fourth one, it's widely diffusive. One particle of leaven being able to change any number of particles of flour. This is a small lump of dough that this lady is eventually going to end up with three measures worth of dough out of just from that one little lump of leaven. And the fifth, it does not act like water, moistening a certain amount of flour, but is like a plant, changing the particles it comes in contact with into its own nature with like propagating power. Now that last phrase is not really the way we word things today, but what that means is once this dough has come into contact and had its nature changed, it's not only different, it has the capability to change other particles of flour that it comes into contact with. Basically, it can propagate itself. It can continue the chain reaction. So that's, that's the way leaven is viewed in this interpretation. The woman in this interpretation would be the church. Spreading this good leaven. Working it into. So this could mean that as the gospel comes into contact with people, it will change them. Not just themselves, but it will turn them into changers as well until everything's changed. So which is it? Two interpretations seem to be saying different things. I don't think this is a case where we've got a both answer. This first interpretation, if you think through it, If, if it's meaning to say that, that, a little, that Satan's going to get a little bit of sin and then it's going to destroy everything, the flower would represent the pristine state of man. The woman wouldn't rest until the entire pristine state of man has been contaminated. Now, again, like, like I was with the first interpretation, there is certainly truth to the fact that sin will contaminate, sin will continue, sin will want to propagate itself the same way the leaven does. But that's a really odd way to describe the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like perfection that eventually gets turned into complete destruction. Yeah, I, I don't think interpretation one is very good. Interpretation number two, though, didn't that sound an awful lot like the way the gospel spreads? Somebody shared the gospel with me. I accepted it. I have a relationship with Christ. Now, if I share that with somebody else, and they get a relationship with Christ, I still have the exact same relationship that I had. In fact, it's probably stronger. It's not like I've got it, and then I've got to give it to them, and we're just you know playing past the ball to make sure everybody gets to touch it. No, we can, we can receive something, we're changed in our nature, and then we can propagate that. We can continue that. We have the power to change others. Another, another reason I think this is probably a good interpretation, woman is not used in a negative way. I know a, a few weeks back when Jesus 
addressed his mother as woman. You all talked about that. It's not a negative term the way we think of it in our English language. It was more of a ma'am. You know, so you know, the Bible has words that it uses for females when he's trying to when it's trying to convey that it's a bad person, harlot, adulteress, those type of words. That's not what's used here. It's simply woman. So she's good. Now if we think this through though, the measure of flour now now begun we gotta figure out how to interpret that one. Is it the whole world? Is it our lives? Think about our lives. We get, you know, the God comes into our lives and, and changes us. And and as he continues to work on us, we, we change and become more and more like him. I mean, ideally that's how it should work, right? But is the kingdom of heaven like one guy? I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> Is it the whole world? We could go universalist on this. Oh, well, this means God is eventually going to save everybody. See, the whole dough has changed. Well, that's probably not, you know, there are verses that contradict that. I think this is probably referring to the elect. And that's all I'm going to say about that. I'll let Bill handle the rest of that. But I think that's, I believe interpretation is the second, and I think that's what the, the flower is. Now, we've had two little parables talking about little things, but these little parables contain big truths. Just like the items that are in the parables that do big things, these parables have big truths. Jesus taught these, and he taught whether the students were going to understand or not. Called back in... Uh, Verses 10 through 13, Jesus was quoting Isaiah, the seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear. He was teaching, he was telling them, but they didn't get it. It was whew, right over their heads. <clears throat> and Jesus used parables because they can convey more than one meaning at a time. We've seen that already with, with the whole both, you know, which is it? Maybe both. The fact that one meaning fits doesn't mean that others can't fit. We do need to keep that in mind. We don't have to decide on a one true meaning for every one of these parables. What we do need to do, though, is use balance. And we need to balance in two different areas. First, we need to balance whatever interpretation we have against the rest of Scripture. Does it fit? You know, the universalist view of the flower, you know, that eventually God will save everyone. Well, we know from the rest, rest of Scripture that's not right. So we can say this is not a good interpretation because it doesn't fit with the rest of Scripture. The other thing we need to balance is our certainty on one hand and grace on the other hand. I shake my head sometimes. And culture, have you noticed that people love to shout at each other? And ostensibly, they're they're having this open, heated debate about a certain topic. But if you look at it, they're not. They're, They're shouting past each other, ostensibly over this one thing. But it just doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I have two different Twitter accounts. One for me personally 
and one for my business, which is a technology uh, consulting business. Mostly tech people I follow there, mostly political conservatives and religious people on my personal one. And depending on which timeline I go through, it's completely different, a completely different view of the world, completely different view of our country. But none of them are actually addressing the other one's points. It's, it's more of a, a rah-rah-ree on our team thing. And that doesn't need to be how we are in the church. I feel that this parable, you know, I said earlier, the first interpretation on the mustard tree, I wouldn't argue real hard with anybody if they thought that was the interpretation. I wouldn't. I, you know, from, from what God has told me, I think the second one's better, but, you know, it's not worth planting a flag on and making enemies and being ugly about. What if we listened to the other person's interpretation and thought about it and did the whole balancing it against the rest of Scripture thing ourselves? And what if that person listened when we shared ours? Now we have two people who have grown. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. That's how we are supposed to help one another grow. We discuss these things and we look at Scripture And then we all are, are better because of it. So we want to make sure, especially when we're talking about, about things like parables where you can have different interpretations that we're not just being ugly and slamming our fist down and saying, well, this is what I think. You've heard me use the word I think a lot, the phrase I think a lot this morning, right? And yes, a lot of this is what I think, but when it comes to the principles of Scripture, that's what we know. I think that the birds are bad bad birds that become good birds. I know that God can change bad birds into good birds. See the difference? But not only did Jesus teach in parables, these parables fulfilled prophecy. I mentioned the verses earlier where Jesus is quoting Isaiah. And here in verse 35, Matthew is quoting Psalm 78.2 where he says, I will open my mouth in parables. Now, the book of Matthew was written primarily to the Jewish audience, right? By a Jew. Matthew is driving home this point. Jesus is the Messiah. He's quoted Jesus referring to Messianic prophecy. He himself is referring back to Messianic prophecy. and saying, he's taught these parables. They didn't understand, just like the Old Testament said they wouldn't, but he still taught, and his teaching fulfilled these prophecies. So what do we do with all this? I mean, I have dealt with neither mustard trees nor leaven in the past week in real life. Now, you know, in in preparing the message, obviously, I researched a lot about them. But there are things that we can do. First off, we can be thankful for the Holy Spirit because He is the one who helps us understand these parables. You all have understood a good bit of what I've said this morning, right? That's the Holy Spirit's doing. He has opened our eyes. He's let us see what these mean. 
the people back then, they heard it and it was like, okay, the a woman takes some dough and makes, makes a bunch of bread with it. Okay. Cool story, Lord. But we know what that means. Or we, we have a good idea of what that means. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> the second thing we can do, both of these parables are talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like. Well, if we claim to be part of the kingdom of heaven, does this describe us? Are we seeing the growth happening? Are we, like that woman, working the leaven into that dough? Are we sharing our faith? Are we seeing that growth in our own lives? Or, do we need to look out for some bad birds? Or the world's leaven? Are we comfortable with false teaching? Are we ignoring sin in our lives that the Holy Spirit likes to bring up every so often and we try to just change our thoughts immediately because we don't want to deal with it? We claim to be part of the kingdom of heaven. We need to be... These parables need to be describing us. You may be here and you're like, well, I, I think I'm part of the kingdom of heaven. I'm in church. That's not it. We, we, talked, we talked a lot about this in Sunday school this morning. Um, you know, we are all sinners. And Jesus didn't just come to tell interesting stories that people would wonder what they meant 2,000 years later. He came to give his life to die on the cross for our sins so that we can have a restored relationship with God through his sacrifice. If you've never done that before, come talk to me after the service. I would love to introduce you to my Savior. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, this scripture. I thank you for for having Matthew record it, for preserving it for us so that we can study it. I pray that you would help us to, to live like we're part of your kingdom, Lord, to help be about the work of, of sharing the gospel with others. Be with us now as we go from here. In Jesus' name, amen.